0: Thank mm-hmm. Tyler Smith here with another More Than One Lesson mini-sode. Uh, just wanted to thank Tyler Stracely for being on last week uh, to talk about his time on The Good Place and discuss the, the themes of the show and that sort of thing. So, uh, But this week we are going to return to our mini-sode series in which we're going through the More Than One Lesson top 50 as voted by you, the listeners, uh, a couple of years ago. Uh, this week we are talking about the number 47 entry, which is Michelle Gondry's eternal sunshine of the spotless mind. And here to talk about it with me is Josh long. Josh, how you doing? I'm doing well. All right. That's exciting. <laughs> right? So exciting. Well, it's, you know, somebody has got to bring some action, bring a pulse to this. Right. So, and that's me. No, no, me. No, oh, me. Oh, I have okay. to say that it's exciting. So oh. I'm sorry that there's so much cat hair on that mic. No, that's all right. I just didn't um, notice until just now. I know. it is. It seems strange. Yeah. You're oh, usually okay. so meticulous. Uh, okay. So Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind came out in 2004. It stars Jim Carrey, Kate Winslet, Elijah Wood, Mark Ruffalo, David Cross, Kirsten Dunst, Tom Wilkinson. Good cast all around. Mm-hmm. Um, it is the only film uh, that uh, Charlie Kaufman won an Oscar for, he was nominated for being John Malkovich, he was nominated for adaptation. Um, And it definitely leaves an impression when you see it. It is directed by Michel Gondry, who is a whimsical French director. uh, And I have not seen Eternal Sunshine In many many years I saw it when it first came out I watched it with my mom oddly Hmm. enough Um, she loves whimsical French directors it was very strange it was it was at a time I'll say this like my mom her her tastes have changed uh, over the years but at the time uh, she was still willing to see kind of different and strange movies and she really responded to it and I did as well, and then I think I've seen it once since then. I think it's a, a marvelous film, but it's not one that I feel the need to return to because, while it is officially a comedy, I do think of it as being particularly dour in a lot of ways because mm. of what it's exploring. Mm. Um, but that is not that is not a fault of the film. It's I think it's it is what it's trying to be, and I think it it is that very very well and it's very original and all of that uh, and we'll talk more about that in a moment but uh, your uh, history with the film are, are you a fan of it what do you what do you think
1: yeah I've, I've always liked it a lot I was I remember it being one of those films that I was surprised that I I was excited to see it and then when I actually saw it it was uh, like it either met or exceeded my expectations mm-hmm. you know how you sometimes a lot of times you can be excited about a trailer for a movie and then you're like, "Ah, the movie wasn't that great though. Oh yes. And I think I had seen several around that time that were like that. Mm -hmm. Um, There were, I mean, 2004 would have been, uh, that, that was when we feel like we talked about this on the show not that long ago too, where there, that time period, there were a lot of kind of, uh, almost Wes Anderson type movies. Oh, no question that about it. Yeah, that makes sense. Something was quirky or precocious or twee, if you will. Yeah. Um, It's probably when we were talking about Juno, which was later, right? 2007. That was 2007. But okay. still very much like Close Rushmore
0: in. and then Royal Tendon Bombs was 2001. I think uh, Life Aquatic was this year. I think it was 2004. It was four or five. I can't four remember Four or five, which. yeah. Um, but yeah, so that really captured the imagination of people. And yeah, I think you got, you know, this was, I think the
1: same year as like I heart Huckabees. Yes. I, I think I can see a lot of films from around that time that were very like colorful and imaginative and kind mm-hmm. of, um, yeah, I don't know. the uh, I can't think of the precious maybe as a sure that that's a negative word, but it I, is, especially because I, I'm a big fan of I heart Huckabees right. and and
0: it really just comes down to stuff like Little Miss Sunshine and Juno and a certain type of, you know, um, what you, uh, you were on Battleship Retention a while ago to talk, uh, talk about this concept of indie light, mm, like,
1: yeah.
0: uh, independent films that where independent is almost its own genre, it less a designation of the financial limitations of a film and more about like, look, independent, we all know what that means, right? It means quirky and precious and twee and all these things that you're mm-hmm. talking about. Um, And yeah, I think an argument could be made that this film engages in that, but I do think that thematically there's a lot more underneath. I think. Yeah. There are times, you know, with something like Juno, you know, you have her saying, you know, her friend says, honest to blog, and she says, I'm speaking into a hamburger phone, and she has a hamburger phone, ironically. Like, there is depth to the story, but it actually has very little to do with the style. It almost is in opposition to the style. Whereas I do think that the depth of eternal sunshine and a spotless mind is so intermingled with the style that mm-hmm. the two can't actually be separated.
1: Yeah. I feel like it's a good combination of, of script and director. And also it's while it lives in that world of indie comedies of the, or indie, I guess, I guess comedies mm-hmm. dramedies maybe of the, of the mid two thousands. Um, it it doesn't feel like it's copying anything. It doesn't feel like it's trying to be something else.
0: Right. No, absolutely. It's. I think that is one of the great things about Charlie Kaufman. And while I do think, whether it be Tim Burton or Wes Anderson or Charlie Kaufman or whatever it is, anytime there's somebody who is a unique voice mm-hmm. and then they do what they do and they still are being true to themselves and what they want to do, um, after a while, the, the public... Catches on to what it is they do, and I say catch on as though they're trying to trick anybody. They're not. They're just doing their own thing. Mm-hmm. And what was once novel becomes run of the mill, uh, if if for no other reason than because other people try to mimic that novelty, and then you just get used to it. Not merely with this artist, but in general.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, and so Charlie Kaufman, you know, when we all saw being John Malkovich, and he'd done stuff before that, but. When we saw that, we thought, oh, my gosh, what an amazing voice, both Spike Jones and Charlie Kaufman. And then when they worked together again for adaptation, mm-hmm. we thought, man, this guy is just operating on a whole different level. And then he started making his own movies with uh, Synecdoche, New York and Anomalisa. Which
1: I, I like Synecdoche, you know, New York. Oh, that's. forgot that that's a hard uh, title to say. Yeah, But I like that one a lot. I do, too. Yeah. Um,
0: and I actually did not see anomalies. So I wanted to. I had heard good things about it. I liked some things about it, but I didn't like it as much. I do think that as a writer, um, I think he benefits from other people realizing his work. Um, I think Spike Jones brings a lot of heart.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, I think Charlie Kaufman is a brilliant intellectual writer. And I think Spike Jones is a very humanistic director. And I'd say the same about Michel Gondry, actually. Mm. Um, And so when you have that combination, you, you have something that is thematically deep and really is exploring things in a new way, but does not lose sight of the emotional core of its characters. And as much as I do really like Synecdoche, New York, I feel like that is a predominantly intellectual exercise. And he, Essentially just relies on the actors to find the emotion because the film's not going to do any any of that I feel like the film is very emotionally cold Hmm. Um, Which is different than this film like I said this film feels a little bit dour but that's because of The subject matter. I mean you're dealing with a a relationship that is starting to go south Mm -hmm. and the the sadness of that Yeah. Um, but yeah, so And I feel bad. I feel like we're being negative about Charlie Kaufman. Uh, Certainly at this time, it was still invigorating to see his films. Yeah, And Eternal Sunshine was certainly that. And not just because of him. Michel Gondry decided that he wanted to do as much stuff in camera as possible. He didn't want to use uh, CGI or anything like that. So when we're going into the subconscious of a person and going inside their mind, well, there's a a lot of things you could use special effects for, but he doesn't do that. He mm-hmm. tries to do uh, tries to have the actors interact with this world as much as possible, so that it'll feel more real and more tangible. And you know, a lesser director or a, at least a different director would have tried to do that differently. But I think Michel Gondry is ambitious in a very specific again whimsical way yeah and so the film does it might be written by charlie kaufman we all might associate it first and foremost with him but it is undoubtedly a michelle gondry film
1: yeah and the style is consistent with other films that he would do afterwards and even the music videos that he did earlier yeah um so it's it's uh you know it's clear that he brought his own style to it and that style meshed really well with the uh the the exploration of memories yeah um and i i really love the way that he realized that uh through these kind of fantastical set pieces and uh, a lot of trick photography and um it very much keeps you on the edge of your seat and keeps you guessing um i can imagine trying to like Look over this script beforehand, and and being like, oh, okay, so there will be like a green screen here, and he's like, no, 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 we're gonna,
0: <laughs> yeah, uh, no, 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 it just, and you're like, ah, all right, your accent makes this all seem more palp- uh, more real, and and uh, possible.
1: Um, so we're gonna do a practical effect where we go in and out of somebody's brain. Yeah. Okay. All right. And we're gonna
0: and just and the the again both intellectually and viscerally. It, it realizes the scope and limitations of the brain uh, yeah. and the mind so much. Like there comes a moment when Jim Carrey's character is going to go confront in his memory, uh, Elijah Wood's character who has his back to him and he spins him around and he still has his back to him because in actuality, he doesn't know what this guy looks like. He's only seen him from the back. yeah. And so things like that where are like, Right. Yes, you can't. Um, you can only draw draw from what you have experienced when you're dealing with your own mind. Yeah. Yes, of course you can imagine things, but if the whole point of this is trying to figure out what this guy looks like, there's only so much that you can can go with. And so moments like that, I think, are very exciting. Um, and just as you see things start to disappear, sometimes gradually and sometimes very quickly,
1: yeah.
0: uh, it at times it almost feels like a horror movie. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. once the, the main character realizes he doesn't want this to happen, mm-hmm. uh, then everything that goes missing is a part of him that is essentially dying. And yeah. it really is, a uh, an exciting film and one that as I talk about it, immediately I just want to watch it again <laughs> now, um, which is probably going to happen a lot as, as I talk about the movies on this list. Um, and of course the cast is marvelous. Uh, the film, it did win best original screenplay and it was nominated for best actress for Kate Winslet in a performance. When we think of Kate Winslet, um, I think we tend to think of her as a, as this classical British actress, you know, when she eventually won the Oscar for best actress it was for the reader playing this very serious part and all that um, but not unlike when Sear Ronan played uh, Lady Bird there is something about these classically trained British or Irish or just European actresses playing just very casual American characters and At no point would I, if looking, if I was looking at the script, no point at no point would I look at the Clementine character and say, you know who'd be good for this is Kate Winslet. (laughs) Um, So it's inspired casting on the part of uh, Michelle Gondry because she pulls it off and she's everything that character needs to be, which is charming, and we have to be a little bit enamored of her, but we also definitely need to see how frustrating she can be.
1: Yeah and i in the same way i think uh jim carrey was a was an unusual casting choice a little bit at the time he does a lot more films like this now and since Mm -hmm. this um but i think back then it was a little unusual to see him doing a, a real drama role i think
0: yeah, even stuff like the Truman show was still heightened and right. he
1: was heightened. And he was still it. doing his Jim Carrey thing, like yeah. big faces and silliness and all that. Yeah. Um so Yeah, I remember thinking this at the time, like, that's a weird that's a weird thing. But he he is playing very little of it is he playing four laughs in the film. He's he's playing the drama of it almost all throughout, and it works very well. It's probably the first performance of his that I would describe as subdued.
0: Yeah. Um, you know, Truman is does not need to be subdued. Uh, mm-hmm. Andy Kaufman in Man on, the, on yeah. the Moon does not need to be subdued. But this character, it's so fascinating because the character is sort of defined by how kind of milk toast he is. Right why on earth would you cast Jim Carrey unless you just saw something in him that was capable of this level of, it's an extremely vulnerable performance as well. Like there are times when he seems almost like a young child trying to navigate these very difficult emotional waters. Mm -hmm. And it it really is a a marvelous performance. Um, You know, uh, Kate wins. I wouldn't say that her character is necessarily showy, but of the two Mm -hmm. hers has, more of a I don't know, it's it's more exciting, there's more life to it not to imply that his performance is lifeless it's that the character
1: is kind of lifeless. Right. Um, and and it's, so it's like fit, that's illustrated by the fact that he is always kind of like uh, the, even the wardrobe sort of, they're, they're the physical look to them he's usually wearing darker colors yeah. and she's kind of like uh, you know, she has much more uh, artsy stuff that she wears. She's got the colored hair. Yeah. Um, all that to kind of point out the the contrast between the two of them. And, you know, in speaking
0: about the Clementine character and, and talking about the movies of this era, um, Nathan Rabin around this time coined the term Manic Pixie Dream Girl. Mm-hmm, I believe yeah. this was the same year as Garden State. Um, And I think that might have been the movie that started him saying that, but it might have been something else a few years early. I don't remember. But Mm -hmm. this idea of the drab guy who is kind of scared of life and doesn't really want to engage meets this, uh, I'll use the word whimsical again, this whimsical, free-spirited woman who just brings out the, the, you know, touches his heart and brings out the inner kid, but also makes him more of a man and all of these things. Um, And I think if you look at the character of Clementine from her name to her dyed hair, to her her behavior, I think she is meant to be that sort of thing. But the script is smarter than to treat her only as that. She is still a full fledged person Mm -hmm. and you come to realize how frustrating it can, it might be to deal with somebody like that. And that, and I think it's also fair to deal with, uh, to, to portray her this way because she does not exist to bring him out of his shell. She's got her own issues as well. Right. And that is something that I think is, is people, including myself, their, their problem with the manic pixie dream girl mm-hmm. type is though she's just been walking around, you know, Hula hooping uh, in, in Times Square or whatever, just waiting for a guy to come along that she can, that she can change. Right, you know, as the as if she didn't exist uh, until he came along.
1: Yeah, and I think I feel like that type existed before, um, you know, before this time in it, film yes. you, uh, It started to become more of a thing, I think, in probably the early two thousands. Yeah, um, but I think you I, you could probably even describe. Uh, uh, Gene Seberg in, in uh, Breathless as a Man of Pixie Dream Girl, maybe. She's even got the pixie haircut. She does, yes. Um, um,
0: and I'd say, uh, did you ever see The Accidental Tourist? No, I haven't. Okay. Um, Gina Davis is very much like that okay. uh, in that film. Yeah. Um, though not... I mean, in a way annie hall is a little
1: bit yeah. like that yeah i could see that although annie hall i think is more on the spectrum of of a clementine type character where there is i think so. more to her and you find <laughs> out like that uh, a lot of a lot of who annie is is just because she was raised very simply yeah. and um y- you know her her life was simpler before she met um Alvy Singer, which I guess you could say in its own way is a, that could be a complaint in its own way that, that she isn't really somebody until she meets him. Sure. Um, but uh, that's, by the way, for a moment, you, you, you
0: said, you know, I think she's more on the spectrum of, and I thought like, Oh, is he just going to end with the word spectrum? Cause <laughs> that might explain some things.
1: Um, but, um, uh, but anyway, she, uh, the, the, um, yeah, we were talking about how there are, are a lot of these characters, but I, I think, Charlie Kaufman took that type a little and played around with it and made that more interesting. And Mm -hmm. I think one of the most interesting things about this character is they deal with kind of a fault in her that makes her feel like she has to appear as this type of character. Yeah, absolutely. Um, So it's not as if this is just because she's a free spirit and you know, she's just different and he doesn't get it or something like that. It's more than like she feels like she has to be uh, spontaneous and spur of the moment yeah. and free-spirited because if she doesn't she doesn't know who she is anymore.
0: Yeah it's uh, it's something that would be explored in David Fincher's Gone girl, which is the pressure that the main character feels to be kind of the cool, wife or the cool girlfriend you know who is not nagging and doesn't require too much of of the man in her life and as it turns out she actually does require things because she's a human being and and needs that type of uh love and attention uh the rest of the of the cast is is uniformly gray elijah wood mark ruffalo kirsten dunst tom wilkinson and i like that there are you know b stories going on here as Mm -hmm. well Um, The situation with uh, Kirsten Dunst and Tom Wilkinson and the whole Mm. reason that this procedure exists uh, is very, you know, it's hard to know if Clementine and Joel, if what they are doing, which is trying to erase the other person from their memory, memory so they don't feel that hurt, it's hard to know if what they're doing is full on selfish it is definitely motivated by pain and Mm -hmm. uh, self-preservation. The idea of, I don't want to feel this hurt anymore. Whereas I think the Tom Wilkinson character who invented this, I think that does come out of a a place of selfishness um, or the idea of, I need to erase the mistake that I have made from the memories of the people that I have hurt um, because I can't stand to deal with the regret that I feel. Right. So it's, it's different. I think I'd say it's a little bit different, but I think it still comes from this, um, this desire we have. And I think this gets us into the theme of the film, this desire we have to avoid relational pain, mm-hmm. um, which is, Understandable, but also unavoidable. Mm -hmm. Um, One thing that I like about the film, and I have a different take on it than most people. Most people see the film as remarkably cynical, and very, and the ending is very dark. That oh well, they're just going to keep repeating this cycle, Um, and cycle being a a phrase that uh, I definitely have heard in my uh, marriage counseling the idea that Jen and I both and, and I would say any any person in a relationship there there's this uncanny way for your flaws and your baggage to just kind of play into each other so that they it brings out the worst in both of you and and you some and and it and it can blind you to the positives mm-hmm until you only see this person as, as, an, as an obstacle to, uh, you know, to your own happiness. And so I think this film is definitely about that, uh, and I think despite it having these science fiction trappings and these fantastical trappings, I think it ultimately just boils down to how, uh, how a relationship functions, um, even, if, even when it's not functioning, which is people get angry at each other, they wish that they're and, and they feel very escalated and they don't necessarily want to be together anymore. And they just want to be away from this person. But then they start to remember, no, there is a reason I'm with this person and I do love them very much. You know what? Let's get back together. But just as when at the end of the film, Kirsten Dunst, like emails, not emails, sorry, she sends everybody their tapes that -hmm. they've said. Um, you can't completely get away from the issues. You can't bury them. You can't just ignore them. You can't forget them. You're going to have to deal with them even after a, a time of reconciliation. Um, the hope is that the reconciliation makes you better able to handle this thing mm-hmm. so that you're less escalated, to once again use a phrase by my uh, marriage counselor. Um, and to me, I think, like, yes, it is cyclical, but the cycle some people say that yeah but they just keep hurting each other it's like yes but they also keep coming back together and helping each other and they're like yes but they keep hurting each other yes but they also keep coming back and helping each other what do you think there's an actual happily ever after there's there's they can be better adjusted certainly and maybe that will happen but i don't think that the fact that they hurt each other means and that they could continue hurting each other, that doesn't negate the fact that they still love each other and they can still be very good for each other. And I don't know, so I actually think the film is, I wouldn't say full on optimistic, I think it's realistic and I think it sees the positive and the negative, mm-hmm. whereas a lot of people I know see the film as, as being almost wholly negative hmm. and just seeing it as, as almost tragic that these two people are still together. Hmm. Um, what, uh, what was
1: your take? I don't remember feeling like it was tragic. I mean, I, I remember feeling like uh, kind of coming down on the position that uh, if they get back together, this will continue happening, but it's it's probably worth it in, yeah. in a lot of ways. Um, yeah.
0: Yeah, and so uh, as we... As we move to, to end here, um, one thing that I want to try and do as we go through these entries is figure out why we think it was included uh, in the list. Because, and this is a thing that I'll probably say for the next for the, the first few of these uh, little minisodes. Um, years ago, David and I did a listener uh, listener compiled top hundred movies of all time, uh, and so I thought it would be interesting what do you do when, or what will it look like when you have a group of people that love movies, but they are also Christian? Mm -hmm. Will that have an impact on what the, the compiled top hundred or in this case, top 50 movies would look like? And I think it's a definitive. Yes. I think there is a a difference, especially if you look at that top 10. Mm -hmm. Um, and the movies that we've talked about so far, you know, princess bride and, Tokyo story. And I think singing in the rain, uh, those, you will find those in a lot of top hundreds. Sure. Um, maybe not princess bride, but you'll find it in a top hundred of like a, any kind of user submitted mm-hmm. list, yeah. uh, usually pretty high up. Um, I think now we're starting to get into the films that might not automatically be on a list. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I would say that with this film, it's inclusion on the list. I don't think is necessarily a function of a Christian audience. I think this has more to do with demographics.
1: I think this speaks to the age of who this show appeals to. Yeah. I I was about to say, I feel like people of a certain age, this movie would immediately come to mind um, as one of the great films. Uh, Whereas, you know, if you're, 60 years old, you might be like, oh, yes, that movie was good, but right. it might not strike you as much. So, And think, if you're 20 or younger, it might not be on your radar at all. Yeah, that's true, um, uh, which is a shame. If you are 20 or younger, I would recommend going to see this movie. Yes. Um, but uh, what was I going to say there? I think... Um, yeah, I think it both came at a time uh, when it was released. I feel like if people were at a certain age and saw it in the theater then it had a stronger effect on them than it might have otherwise. No. Uh, time period wise and if uh, and I think it speaks to certain uh, uh, desires and concerns and ideals of people who are a little bit younger. I'd say yeah. I guess old millennials is probably the, the time period we're talking about. Sure. People born in the early to late born in the eighties, probably. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I think so. Um, and while I do think that it's something that, that younger people should see, because I think it's one of the more, it's weird to describe the film as realistic because it isn't realistic in many ways, except at its core. I think that's, Mm. that's one of the things to go back to what we've been talking about with with Wes Anderson, I think the best Wes Anderson movies are ones that, yes, they take place in a reality that does not look like the one we live in,
1: mm-hmm.
0: but it has a core that is unmistakably rea- uh, realistic and human.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, there are moments in *Royal Tenenbaums*. You know, if you look at the way the characters dress, you look at the world they live in, you look at even how they talk. It's all very stylized, mm-hmm. but then there are and some of this comes through in the performances, but there's also moments of real human longing uh, that even in the most stylized film, you can look at a certain character and say, that's familiar to me. I definitely have felt those things. And I think eternal sunshine has uh, elements to it that are universal Mm -hmm. and it, and in that way I think I would describe it as realistic. And so I think younger people would benefit from it because it is a, a, I think in many ways a clear eyed view of relationships, but I do think that older people, you know, I've been married 13 years at this point and there are time. I think the film has only become more relevant to my life as I've gotten older and as yeah. I've been with Jen longer. Yeah. Um, because yeah, there are, there are days when you've been with this person so long that the novelty of them has kind of worn off. Mm. You're like, okay, I know all your tricks. <laughs> uh, like you're, you're, I know your shtick, let's put it that way. Um, and so it's, it's, there are days when you're like, why did I, why did I do this? Why did I get into this relationship? And not necessarily that you want to go running from it or that you want to forget it, but there are times when this person has the ability to hurt you and does hurt you. And you think, man, I don't want to feel this. I want to get away from it in some way. Mm -hmm. And this film, you know, literalizes that. Yeah. And, and so I do think that it's a, a film that would benefit anybody. Um, you just need to be ready for it. It's strange. It's at times very, downbeat. There are times when it is funny and absurd. It it mixes all of these different tones and I think mixes them perfectly. Hmm. I feel like it's at no point in the film do I feel like we have left the reality of the film. Hmm. It is consistent. Yeah. Even when even when depicting all kinds of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um so yeah, it's definitely a film that I that I recommend. I'm perfectly fine with it being on this list. I think it makes sense, again, given not merely our listeners, but I'd say the the majority of podcast listeners. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember uh, polling my students uh, when I was a TA and asked how many of them listened to podcasts, and only a couple hands went up. I do think that that podcasts are something that appeal to a, people that are maybe at the moment between like 28 and 45, mm. Um and of course there are exceptions to that, but that definitely demographically fits with both more the more than one lesson and battleship pretension audience, yeah. because I think they started at a very specific time. Uh, only if they do they started only a couple years after eternal sunshine came out. And then if you're a, if you're a movie fan, then Hey, this is another way to learn about movies and YouTube film criticism wasn't really a thing yet. And mm-hmm. so th- I could see a lot of overlap between podcast listeners and lovers of Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. Um, and was this film on both lists? I don't remember if it was on the BP list, mm. honestly. Um, I will have to. I will have to look at that. I wouldn't be surprised if it was, but now yeah. I don't actually remember. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I will say that uh, that the film has endured. Uh, you know, the film yeah, at this so. point is. 14 years old. Mm-hmm. Uh, when the, when the list was made, uh, it was, uh, 12 years old. Um, but I think, I think any film that is just pure stylistic novelty, unless it really changes the way people make movies. Um, I think if it's pure style, which is not a crime by any stretch, mm-hmm. um, I don't think it stands the test of time. I think the movies, That people will return to over and over have a deeper emotional or thematic core Mm. that resonates. Um, Because if this were just a quirky type of thing, Frank, uh, a couple years after this, Michelle Gondry made a film called The Science of Sleep, which is which is fun, but again, it's pure style and not a whole lot underneath. Mm -hmm. Um, Which again, like I said, is not a crime, but there's a reason that people are talking about eternal sunshine and not the science of sleep. And I think it boils down to that script really touching on something that people can relate to. Mm -hmm. But anyway, okay, so I think we will go ahead and leave it there. Um, If you have any uh, comments about this film, feel free to leave them in the comments section of this post at morethanonelesson.com. And I'm not yet sure what next week's episode is going to be, but I will say that, hey, Halloween times is coming up. So, uh, you know, uh, steal yourself, get ready for that. Cause it's going to be terrifying as always. <laughs> but, uh, anyway, thank you everybody for listening, Josh. Thanks for being here. You're welcome. We'll get you next time. Bye.